Welcome to the Day Before Leadership Podcast. I pray it encourages you to move from surviving to thriving in your leadership. If you enjoy it, make sure you subscribe and share it. Here's today's interview. Pastor Sam, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I am blessed. Thank you for having me. Amen. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, thank you so much for sharing just your wisdom that you have uh, for us today. You, you are a teacher. You taught economics. You used to teach full-time, I believe, and then you would preach on the weekends. Um, you now you're lead a network of churches, I believe over 42,000 of them. Is it up to 42,032, or is it more than that at this point? <laughs> yeah, it's um, in the neighborhood thereof, yes. <laughs> yeah, an evangelist, a pastor, a movie producer, an amazing author. Can you speak a word to people who are in that season where they're still teaching, they're still in that season of teaching economics, and they're preaching on the weekends, and they may feel forgotten. They feel like God has a great calling on their life, yet they feel like um, they feel overlooked, or they feel like that dream will never come to pass. Being on this side of it, can you speak a word of hope to all those people? Absolutely. That dream will come to pass. You have to be in the right position. And by the right position, I mean spiritually, mentally, emotionally, even relationally. Put yourself in the right place where you're driven by the Spirit of God, not by your circumstances, and watch doors open up in your favor. Again, there has to be an intentionality on your behalf. So put yourself in the right place in every single regard. Don't put a lid on your dream. Do not. And do not marry the idea that you're going to live in perpetual survival mode. Don't believe that you're going to be teaching for the next 25, 35,000 years. If you have a calling, and right now you're bivocational, believe God that he's going to open up the heavens in such a way that you're going to be able to execute in full-time measure everything that God has ordained and purpose in your life. So believe it and put yourself in the right place. Amen. That's so good. Speaking of all that you do, uh, you've been married for over 30 years now. You have three children. You have so much on your plate. You spoke of how you were a teacher full-time and you preached on the weekends. You would travel. Yet you have so much success in the home and you have such a tight-knit family. For those who are watching, those who are listening, how would you speak to those people who are not doing such a good job of balancing ministry and marriage and work and family? And What are some keys to having a healthy family life? Yeah, now in full disclosure, it wasn't like my my balance was perfect, pristine from day one. It was not. I, I'm in a balanced place because I learned from my mistakes. I learned from having an unhealthy balance. Um, in my beginning years, I was traveling, I was working, I was speaking, and I spent very little time with my first child, for example. And in, in the school of not regrets, but in the school of mature hindsight, you acquire wisdom and you, you, you say, look, wait a minute, what can I do better? And it only comes through a, a personal relationship. And I, again, not to be too preachy about it, but as you grow in Christ and Christ grows in you, as you Galatians 2.20 yourself, where you're crucified with Christ, nevertheless, it's not you who live, but Christ lives in you, then you every single day become more cognizant not just of your purpose, but of the people around you. Some of the most critical questions I ever asked myself was not just what's my purpose, God? What did you place me on this planet for on this side of eternity? But who are the people that I need on my bus? Who are the people I need in my life? Like who are the people you have assigned to me that Samuel Rodriguez really to a great degree 
uh, can't execute his full God-ordained mission without. And it begins with your family. So invest in your family, love your family. Your family is next to your relationship with Jesus. Your family is your number one ministry and calling. Not the church, not the outreach, not the television, the podcast, the streaming. It's your family. So that's my commitment. That's my prayer. And I am blessed to have the most amazing family. All my kids are involved in ministry. They love Jesus. We are a super tight-knit family. Awkwardly, I think sometimes. But we're super tight. Get more information than what I need to know. But we're, I mean, I'm enamored of my family. And I know that my children will do greater things than I have done for the glory of Christ. Amen. That's amazing. You spoke about having the right people on your bus. Who are your top two spiritual giants, spiritual mentors that are on your bus and who help you? And, and what are the two greatest lessons that they have taught you? I have, what, I have what I call macro and micro. The macro are individuals I never met, but they defined my, my purpose identity to a great degree. My mission statement. That was Billy Graham and Dr. King. So my, Sam Rodriguez's life's mission when he was 14 years old was to reconcile Billy Graham's message to Dr. King's march. When I was 14, I saw that the church was divided, in essence, between the followers of Billy Graham and the followers of Dr. King. And Sam Rodriguez, growing up in Pennsylvania, a nerd, my parents are not preachers, a math and science and history nerd, I just saw a special on Billy Graham, I saw one on Dr. King on PBS, and something in my spirit, you're gonna bring those two camps together. So my two most influential individuals as it pertains to the macro vision, Billy Graham and Dr. King. Righteousness and justice, the vertical and the horizontal. Um, John 3.16 and Matthew 25. It's holiness and humility, truth and love. It's conviction and compassion. It's orthodoxy and orthopraxy. So that's what leads me. I call it the Lamb's agenda. At a micro level, I had some great pastors. I had a great pastor growing up. The, uh, the only pastor, I, well, two pastors, one until I was nine years old and then from nine until I got married. Uh, phenomenal pastors, both of them, who believed in me, saw a calling in my life, didn't place a lid on my calling, were not intimidated by the calling, quite the opposite. They found pride and joy in all of my successes by the grace of God. So, yes, it was my pastors. My parents were loving, caring parents. I don't have one of these traumatic experiences. Where I don't. My parents were like awesome rock stars, uh, spoiled the heck out of me. What can I tell you? Treated me well, gave me, you know, placed me in the right place. So yeah, these are my, my mentors growing up, but Billy Graham and Dr. King serve as the macro pillars for what I do. So amazing, thank you. You spoke of the Lamb's agenda. For those who don't know what the Lamb's agenda is, where here we are post-election. <laughs> so many people are caught up in emotions in this time. You do such a great job of bringing people together and exactly what you spoke on when you were 14 years old, now seeing God do that through you is just amazing. You probably do this better than anybody I've ever heard. So would you take a moment to speak on the Lamb's agenda to those who are watching, those who are caught up and um, any kind of other agenda, speak about the Lamb's agenda. Yeah. A book years ago. I received the revelation. A lot of people are using it now. God bless you and you're welcome. Praise be the Lord. But I wrote a book a lot many years ago, and it was a revelation that I never heard from anyone else. A revelation about uh, the lamb. Basically, the donkey represents the Democratic Party, the elephant Republican Party. And I saw the church falling into camps where in silos in perpetuity, where they would vote the party, not the platform or the values. 
So I wrote a book and said, it's not the agenda of the donkey or the agenda of the lamb, of the, of the elephant. It's the agenda of the lamb who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. As Christians, we should be married, not to the agenda of the donkey or the elephant, but only to the agenda of the lamb. Because the real battle is not between the donkey and the elephant. It's between the serpent and the lamb. And there is a lamb's agenda. It's Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice, truth and love. The lamb's agenda is pro-life from the womb to the tomb. It is pro-religious liberty because we need to be free to preach the gospel. That's what we're here for, getting people saved, both vertically and horizontally, saving lives. And it's biblical justice. It's doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly before God. That's the Lamb's agenda. So I wrote the book. It became a, a, a thing. And even this election cycle, I am bothered and concerned about the, the division in the church camp. My goodness. I pastor a church that's 40% white. For those of you that are watching, that means Caucasian. 40% black, which is, for those of you watching, that's African-American. And 20% confused. I'm sorry, Latino and Asian. I'm just kidding. So it's, I have a very multi-ethnic church. And matter of fact, if you go to my church, you can't tell the majority group. All kidding aside, you can't. And I know that in my church, I don't ask. But you, I know, you know, as a pastor, you know. That I have both Republicans and Democrats in my church. So, so when, and my church sticks together. And I don't water down the gospel, if you know about the way we preach. I preach the gospel. And, and people don't leave from either camp because your political affiliation should not cancel your prophetic assignment. It shouldn't. And, and, and man, if you want to attend a church of only Republicans or only Democrats or only Socialists, good luck with that one, by the way, because then if you're, there's no longer a church. It's, you're, anyway, if you, it, it, it's not right, guys. It really isn't. So the Lamb's agenda is a reconciliatory prescription for the church not to be controlled by political affiliation, but to be driven by values, not even personalities, values and platforms, because elections do have consequences. And if we vote for a party or a platform that wants to stifle my right to preach the gospel, then, your, then that election impeded my children and my children's children from hearing the truth about Jesus and setting them free. So by your vote, you may very well be facilitating the enslavement of the upcoming generation. So you shouldn't take the vote lightly, but neither should you marry a political affiliation. It should be values and agenda that drive you to your voting booth. Amen. That's so good. You spoke a little bit about your church. You do have a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. You prayed for both President Obama and President Trump. Uh, speak a word of unity to our nation. Speak a word of, as you see, so many people are divided racially. Can you speak a word of hope about unity in our nation? Love your neighbor. The Matthew Mark principle, love your neighbor. The two commandments that Christ gave us. What is it? You love God with all your heart, right? I mean, with everything you are, with, with your entire nefesh, with all of your understanding, with every fiber and fabric of your being, if you're to expand the Greek derivative of the, of the verse, every, the, all of you that's of God. And love your neighbor. And all the laws and everything the prophets ever stated, they hang on you loving God and loving your neighbor. Love your Republican neighbor. Love your Democrat neighbor. Love the neighbor that voted for Biden. Love the neighbor that voted for Trump. Love those that look like you and love those that do not. You know what? Love the Raider fans and the 49er fans. Love the Yankees and the Red Sox fans. My point to you is love everyone. That's the word. 
A divided church can never heal a broken world. A united church, a united church, a united church can change and will change the world. John 17, 21, Jesus said his prayer, his prayer, here's my prayer. Let them be one as you and I are one. Speaking about his children, his followers, you and I, let's be one. Be holy, be one, be light. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying right now to the church. Be holy, 1 Peter 1, 16. Be one, John 17, 21. Be light, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. There it is. So I hope you embrace that because it's time. The moment light stands next to darkness, light always wins. And the brightest light of the spectrum is when all the colors come together. There is no white church. There is no black church. There is no brown church. There is no yellow church. There's only one church. It's the church of Jesus. And the moment that one church rises up, nothing will be able to stop us. That's incredible. You do have such a gift of sharing with such wisdom with the words that you speak. As you think about the COVID crisis, what are some, some things that the Lord has showed you about yourself, about the church, about other people? Uh, as you've gone through this whole COVID crisis, what are some things that's come to you? Yeah. I wrote about it in the book a bit, Survive to Thrive, and, and I shared it in the beginning of COVID and even in the midst of, it's, a, it's been a hard reset for the church. It's like, a, like the iPhone. The iPhone, when you go through a hard reset, it looks like it's off. It actually turns off for like a nanosecond and then everything kicks back on, but you don't have to do anything else. Once you press that reset, it does it by itself. It's not about you, it does it by itself. So the church is right now going through a hard reset. And once we come out of this, the bugs will be fixed. I'm speaking prophetically now. There are issues that we have to deal with, right? As a pastor, your budget, you, you just went through your budget and found out what was essential. You went through your staff and discovered what was essential. You went through your list of ministries and discovered what was essential. As a husband, as a ministry leader, I went through the same list. What's essential? What can I live? What must I have to live? And what can I live without? Now, this is going to sound a little bit crude, but it isn't. Even in your relationships, you discovered people who are essential in your life and those that are not. And by not, you're not disregarding them. God has purpose for them, but not necessarily for your mission. And, and you discovered who's essential. In your, who's, who's essential? Who's called to be on your bus, in the words of Jim Collins, good to great. So that's all a reality. So I discovered in this hard reset that the church can be both uh, prophetic and pragmatic, practical. And we, we have to be both and. So, you know, it's a, it's a great season to me. Uh, technology, infrastructure, the fact that our online presence should not be temporal. It should be permanent. It should be a permanent fixture. And the way that we deliver the gospel, the wine never changes, but the wineskin must change. And we just went through a hard wineskin transformation in the past year. So, Dorothy, we're not in Kansas anymore. Amen. It's incredible. Um, you and your team have a list of words memorized that you that you guys say that we must live by. Holy, healed, healthy, happy, humble, hungry, and an honor in life. Out of those seven, which has God worked on you the most in your life? And out of those seven, which are young leaders struggling with the most now that you see um, in their lives? The answer to both is holiness. It is. Because it, holiness gets a bad rap. It gets a bad rap because, because of bad theology, simply stated. Holiness is not an Old Testament concept that somehow made it by the grace of God into the New Covenant. Holiness is actually amplified, exemplified in the New Testament more than the Old. 
First Peter 1.16, be holy for I am holy. The, the, whole, the, the psalmist talked about the beauty of holiness. To live a holy life is the most beautiful thing on the planet. Oh my goodness. I mean, to live a holy life is to live a life without a lid. Let me repeat that. To live a holy life is to live life without a lid. When you live holy, when you live above reproach, when you live a life of integrity, it's not your doing. So do away with the whole legalistic, uh, Pharisaic mindset. It's not about, oh, I make myself holy. Oh, no, you don't get over yourself. It's the blood of Jesus that washes you. It's the spirit of God that occupies your life. But then you pursue. You pursue. You pursue. You pursue that holiness. And how do you pursue holiness? Through the word of God every single day, through a devotion, through saying no to the flesh, Galatians 2.20, Galatians 5.16, led by the spirit, not by the flesh. But it's beautiful, man. I discovered that living a holy life is like the secret recipe for the favor of God. I never have to pursue blessings, ever. I don't have to pursue open doors. I don't knock on a door and say, I want to preach on that stage or I want to do that conference. I've never done it. I never asked to be invited to do this or do that. I didn't knock on the door and say, I want to be part of the inauguration for the president or for the previous president. I didn't even knock on the door for the first president I advised. Didn't do any of that. It came to me. And what comes to you, the Bible says that favor, favor, the favor of God lands upon the righteous. Favor pursues holiness. So again, it's not that you're perfect. It's not like, oh my God, you're the holiest person on the planet. You're, you're like, you know, Next to, you know, under the word holiness, you Google it, you know, you show up. No, no. What it does mean is that you live a life so enamored with the spirit of God, with the word of God, with the will of God, that it's no longer even punitive. You no longer look at sin as, oh, if I sin, you know, if this is what it's the desire for sin is no longer there because you understand and you live in the benefits of what it is to have everything that God has for you pursue you because you're pursuing him. It is beautiful. I would love to see the moment that every single person would understand that you are what you tolerate, that holiness is a firewall against the portals of hell, that if you are covered by the blood of Jesus and you're living a holy life, you have like double insurance. It's like, wow. So it really works. And then your children and your children, the moment you live holy, your children will not inherit your sins. Your children will inherit your blessings. And the moment you live holy, your children will never live in what God takes you out of. I love that. So it's, that's holiness. You asked the question, but for me and for the next generation, learn how to live a holy life. Again, not legalism, not, not holiness about grace. It comes out of grace, but it doesn't end with grace. Grace gives birth to holy living. So good. Can you pray for us? Uh, pray that we would pursue God and, and do exactly that, that we would pursue a life of holiness and a life of godliness for all those who are watching, all those who are listening. Heavenly Father, I thank you for absolutely every single person interacting with us right now. Thank you. Thank you that we acknowledge the fact that using your biblical narrative as a metaphor, every single person on this planet is either in Egypt, the desert, or the promised land. We're either failing, surviving, or thriving. In order to thrive, it requires us living a holy, healed, healthy, happy, humble, hungry, honoring life. And it begins with holiness. It begins, dear God, with the new me. Not the old me, but the new me. The old me died in the desert looking at the promise. The new me stepped into the promise. It's the new me. Lord, thank you for the new each and every one of us. 
Thank you for 2 Corinthians 5.17. Thank you, dear God, that you have made us into new creation. Thank you, dear God, that you define us not by our failures, but by your forgiveness. That we're defined not by what surrounds us, but by, our, by your spirit inside of us. That we're defined not even by what we do for you. We're defined by what you already did for us. Lord, right now, empower us via the conduit of your precious Holy Spirit to live a holy, healed, healthy, happy, humble, hungry, honoring life. And with that life, we do nothing less for your namesake than change the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Sam. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. Thank you, my friend. Many blessings. Stay in touch, please.